0: ready for a word from God. Let me let me say uh, you guys guys know Pastor Stephen is a a dear friend to Carrie and I he and Holly and uh, they got chunks and some of their team here that we love and work very closely with our staff and I can say a whole lot of things about Pastor Stephen and you guys know, he, in, incredible books, and, and, and just an amazing church, and Elevation Church, and he's got so many great resources. Uh, but you know what I love about Stephen? Um, Stephen is so genuine in his faith in Jesus and wanting people to increase their faith in Jesus. And uh, Stephen, I want to say, you know, in front of everyone, just being honest here, Stephen has been one of the best and most reliable friends that I've had. He's one of those friends that you can always rely on. How many of you know you have friends and you have good friends? Do you know what I'm saying? Pastor Stephen is a good friend, and uh, we're so glad that you're here, buddy. Come on up. Come on, Celebration. I want you to stand to your feet and give it up to Pastor Stephen Burden.
1: It's time to celebrate. It's a revival night. It feels awesome in here. Absolutely. Before you take your seat, I'm waiting. You're going to need to be on your feet for what I'm going to say. I'm just getting you prepared. You know why we feel so connected? Do you feel the connection? By the way, I do. Do you know why you feel so connected to me and I feel so connected to you? It's because we have a commonality. We both agree that Pastor Stovall and Carrie Weems are two of the most amazing people on the planet. That's why we feel kindred. Do you agree? Come on, make some noise for the leaders of this church, who God sent you to be a blessing, who God is using in this city and this world. And now you may be seated. Yeah, Pastor Stovall, you are a good friend to me. You're the kind of friend. He's the kind of friend, and I don't know if you have any friends like this. He's the kind of friend where I wish somebody would say something bad about him to my face. Do you have any, any friends like that? because I watch UFC and I would like to try some moves out. I wish somebody would say something bad about Stovall or Kerry Weems. it be a great opportunity for me. I've been looking forward to being here. You can tell that the atmosphere is set. I don't have to do a lot of heavy lifting. Pastor Perry Noble, I understand, rocked the arena with the young people. I always like saying that in my... Um, Southern preacher, the young people. Let me tell you something, young people. It's like to say young people like that. But I, I know he was fantastic. Was he funny? Yeah. He's so funny. I love that guy too. He's amazing. You're going to love Robert Madu tomorrow night. Have you ever, how many of you never heard him before? All right, you're gonna love him. He's dynamic, he's powerful, he's funny. It's just gonna get better and better. Pastor Matthew Barnett, uh, you're in for a great couple of nights. God gave me a specific assignment for this night. I knew exactly what I was supposed to preach. I haven't second-guessed it, haven't hesitated about it. I know it's just for us, just for this night, just for this people. It's not gonna be some kind of um, motivational speech or something, or really some teaching instructional lesson. I feel preachy tonight. I feel incredibly preachy. Is it all right if I just be preachy tonight? Is it all right? Turn to somebody next to you and say, it's going to be preachy. Tell them, help the preacher preach. You know I only look white. I feel super preachy, and I want to go to one of the One of the greatest texts for preaching in the Scripture, I want to preach from Ezekiel 37. And I want to speak to you from a passage that is a picture of revival, a clear picture of revival. This, how many many preachers or pastors do we have here tonight? We honor you guys. Let's honor the men and women of God who are here. Yeah. Bless you guys. We had a little meeting with some of the preachers before we came out. And uh, that's just one of the ways that this church is so unifying, bringing together pastors from all over the area to invest in and pour in. But I was saying that because I'll say if you're a preacher and you can't preach from Ezekiel 37, walk away. (laughs) This thing preaches itself. But I I just wanna read five verses to begin with. And I know that you are hungry not necessarily for God, literally starving. No wonder the place is packed. What else are you going to do? You can't eat. That's a great way to boost attendance for a church event. Ban eating. Ezekiel 37 verse 1 says, the hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. I like how he points that out, because he's looking at decomposing bodies on the floor of the valley, and he notes they were very dry. It would have been different if they were slightly moist bones on the valley of the floor. That's totally normal, but these were dry bones. What he's saying is, the situation has become so hopeless, so grotesque. He's describing it in vivid detail. He's not visiting this place physically. The Lord is taking him there in his spirit, in his mind. It's it's an apocalyptic vision that God is giving to a prophet that is sent to a people who have been rebellious and now they're suffering the consequences of their own rebellion. And he's showing them the picture of how their own sin has laid them waste. And as he's looking at it, he hears a question in his spirit from God. And the Lord asked me, Verse three, son of man, can these bones live? And I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. There are some situations represented in this church tonight that only God knows how deep they go. That only God knows what it's going to take to break the pattern that has been persistent in your life for four decades. That only God knows some of the thoughts that you're really having and what it's going to take to overcome the struggle that you're in, you alone know. I'm glad that God knows. I'm glad that that when I don't, he does. I'm glad that he has answers when I come to him. You alone know. Ezekiel doesn't yet have faith that the situation can get better, but at least he has enough good sense to acknowledge that there are some things that only God knows. And then he said to me, verse four, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. How many want to hear what the Lord says to the dry situations in your life, to the disjointed, dysfunctional places in your life? Well, well, he says… He says, prophesy, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. We spend so much of our time hearing what everybody but God thinks about our situations, about what everybody but God thinks about the condition of our world and what it'll take to fix it, about what everybody but God thinks about us, our performance, our appearance. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. That's what we came for tonight. That's why we came out here. That's why we fought traffic. That's why we're not eating. Well, you're not eating, I'm totally eating. I had shrimp before I came. I thought about fasting one night with you for solidarity. <laughs> thought about that. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. We're, we're fasting. We're consecrating. We're setting apart a season so we can know what he says. And What does the Sovereign Lord say to these bones? He says, I will make breath into you, and you will come to life. Say amen, somebody. I want to use as a title for this message, it's really an instruction. A title that's also an instruction. The title of this message is Don't Hold Your Breath. Don't Hold Your Breath. I need you to find 15 people in your general area and tell them, Don't Hold Your Breath. Just reach around. It's going to be hard to do it seated, but you can do it if you stretch. Up in the top, tell them, Don't Hold Your Breath. It's very dangerous, it's bad for your health to hold your breath. Don't hold your breath. Everybody take a deep breath and let it out. Don't hold your breath. Ezekiel is surveying a scene that he never really wanted to see. I described it in a little detail, but just to maybe put it in perspective, I think verses one through five of Ezekiel 37 is a case study in the power of our surroundings. How many know that what continually surrounds you will eventually get inside of you? Surroundings are, are so powerful that retailers will study what colors make you more likely to want to spend, what volume of music will make you more likely to want to spend. What sense that they can pump through their ventilation system will make you more likely to want to spend? It's the power of surroundings. Surroundings are very, very powerful. You can't, you can't live in a cluttered environment for very long, for instance, and have an organized thought life. Now, I, by nature, am not a very organized person, but I'm learning to be organized because when my life is not organized, I, well... It can be something so simple but but it has such a profound impact and that's why my closet is color coordinated. Do not judge me for that. I feel male judgment all throughout the house and I don't want to feel that from you. I'm a guest. Yes, my closet is color coordinated. I'm going to tell you why cuz every day I got to get dressed. It's one of the first things I've got to do. And if when I go to get dressed, everything in my closet feels disorganized. It starts my day on a bad path. And I don't I don't wanna be I don't I don't wanna be surrounded by stuff that's so chaotic when I first wake up because it sends a message and my neural pathways start firing negative messages to one another. Your closet's disorganized, your life is disorganized, you're 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 a worthless human being, your marriage is failing, your parenting is lacking, all because I couldn't find anything to wear. What I'm saying is, your surroundings, pray for me while you're fasting. Would you take one day of the fast and pray for me? Because I get so affected by my surroundings. And that's why, by the way, you are very wise to come to church rather than just watch it online. Can I say something? I know we got people watching online. Hey, y'all. If you live like uh, more than an hour from where we're meeting, it's cool you're watching online. If you got bronchitis, it's cool that you're watching online. We don't want you up around us coughing in the middle of my sermon anyway. But if you could get here and you didn't, you missed an opportunity to be surrounded in an atmosphere of faith. You missed an opportunity. Where's the camera? Which one? You missed an opportunity to get around some radical people. And I'm telling you, I'm looking at them. They're radical, they're fanatical. They're coming after God, and so you sometimes you gotta you gotta change your surroundings. You, you want a change to happen within you. You gotta change what's around you. Now Ezekiel actually went the wrong way. He went the wrong way because, okay, quick Bible trivia fact: before Ezekiel 37 is Ezekiel 36. <laughs> I have a Master of Divinity degree, and that's the best I can do. But in Ezekiel 36, and I just want to share a portion of this with you, Ezekiel sees a vision of a garden, garden. In Ezekiel 36, verse 34, the Lord is showing him a beautiful garden. He's showing him a vision of a beautiful garden. Listen to what the Lord says. The desolate land will be cultivated instead of lying desolate in the sight of of all who pass through it. They will say, This land that was laid waste has become like the Garden of Eden. You remember the Garden of Eden. No sin, no problems, one man, one woman, no clothes. It was awesome. But he said, He said, there's coming a day where the land that was laid waste, see the the, the Israelites were in captivity. They'd been taken away from their homeland. They were destroyed, dismantled, disjointed, disoriented. But he said, he shows them a picture and he says, the land that was laid waste has become like the garden of Eden. There's coming a day when they'll see what I do, says the Lord, and they'll say that the land that was laid waste has become like the Garden of Eden. The cities that were lying in ruins, desolate and destroyed, are now fortified and inhabited. That sounds awesome. That sounds, that sounds amazing. That sounds, like, that sounds like Celebration Church. I mean, this, this place is a garden in the city. I got so fired up. I I was starting to come up on stage early when you were taking the offering because you started praying for the surrounding areas. And when you were praying that, I was like, I got the right message because what God was putting in your heart for this revival is that we would put a garden where new life is coming forth in the midst of a city and cities now, Orlando, where walls have been broken down. And so God shows Ezekiel a picture of of a garden. He says, it's going to be like this. It's going to grow again. There's going to be good soil. There's going to be rich produce. There's going to be fruitfulness because of my faithfulness. And he shows him the garden. And, and, And Ezekiel's looking at the garden, and he's thinking about the garden. And perhaps he can even smell the garden in his mind. But then God all of a sudden, watch this, I hate this. He takes him from the garden to the graveyard. That's where we started this message, in the graveyard, with dry bones all around, dead bodies all around, from the garden to the graveyard. You know, most of our lives follow this transition as well, from the garden to the graveyard. Like in here tonight, with a spirit of faith, this this feels like heaven on earth, it's amazing. But there are people who are sitting here in this, in this garden atmosphere where faith is growing and hope is growing and possibility is surging that are going home to graveyard situations. Now it's going to get quiet for about seven minutes, but I'm going to lift the sermon after these seven minutes, and we'll all be shouting by the time it's done. But I need to talk to somebody today who's working the graveyard shift. I almost called this message… The graveyard shift. Have you ever had to work the graveyard shift? It's where in your heart you see a vision of how God wants to use you, but in your real life you've got some addictions that make it pretty hard for you to be useful to the master. Have you ever had to work the graveyard shift? It's where you come to church and you get fired up and hyped up on what you hear but then what you see when you open your eyes to the reality of your job on Friday morning is nothing like the atmosphere that you were in. Come on somebody, don't look at me crazy. I know what it's like to work the graveyard shift. It's where what God says doesn't match up with what you see. It's where God has promised to bless you and provide for you, but you can't make ends meet right now because you made some bad decisions and you're working your way out of a pit. It's where you want to have great faith, but in your heart, in your mind, you have a lot of doubts. It's where you worship God in church, but then you wonder, is there even really a God the next day because of what you're up against? It's the graveyard shift. It's the discrepancy between what God said and what I see. It's a graveyard shift. And, and what I learned is there are two types of people. There's the type of person where you, 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 you are changed by your surroundings. But then there's another type of person, and Ezekiel represents it. It's the person who changes their surroundings. It's the person... Let me do this the right way. Let me do this the right way. The hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out by the spirit. He took me from the garden where where did he take me? He took me out, brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of the beach. That's where I want to go next. I want to go to the beach. But he said, the Lord took me to the valley. He put me in the middle of a situation that was difficult. He put me in the middle of a situation that looked to be beyond the realm of possibility. He put me in the middle. I didn't come to preach this message to somebody tonight who's always living on the mountaintop, who's always living in the Garden of Eden where everything is perfect, who has their act together, who never cusses, who never gets mad in traffic, whose marriage is completely perfect and always agreeable. I came to preach to somebody who's in the middle of a valley, looking at a challenge with your teenager, wondering am I even really making a difference where I am, wondering is anybody ever going to preach? I'm in the middle of a valley. I'm looking at a situation that looks nothing like what God spoke to me. It was full of bones, and he led me back and forth among them. And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. And then he said to me, I love the next phrase, prophesy, it's verse uh, four, prophesy to. I came, I came to give you a strategy for when you're working their graveyard shift. you ready. It's going to change your life. It's changed mine. He didn't say, describe your problem. He said, declare my promise to your problem. He said, You've spent so much time talking about the bones, but what I'm calling you to do is talk to. Come on, take 20 seconds and praise him while I tie my shoe. i said you've been talking about stuff you're supposed to be talking to. You've been living under stuff that you're supposed to be living over. You spend too much time listening to yourself. You ought to be preaching to yourself. And what you see will begin to resemble what I say when you prophesy. Tell three people, talk to it. Talk to it. Talk to it. Talk to your dysfunction. Tell your dysfunction, you will line up with the Word of God. In 2015, you will straighten up. You will come into alignment with my purpose. You will come into alignment with my destiny. Oh! So, so, I told you I feel preachy. I warned you I feel preachy. I warned you I feel like preaching. There's something in this church and there's there's a shift happening. See what we're doing is we're 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 bringing the garden to the graveyard. We're bringing life to dead places with our words, with our worship. I see stuff starting to straighten up in your life. Even as the word is being preached right now, it's correcting stuff that's been out of alignment. See, because what happened when he started preaching, he started preaching to the bones. He didn't even understand what God was going to do. So he didn't have a lot of certainty and he didn't have a lot of clarity, but he did have a lot of confidence in what God was able to do, even though he didn't know if it was going to happen in this situation. But instead of trying to understand, he was obeying because understanding is God's job, obeying is yours. And so he starts saying, what God said, even though he doesn't see what he wants to see, and then then he goes into detail. Watch verse 6. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life, and then you will know that I am the Lord. As the body of Christ, we're not called only to describe problems in our world. We're called to declare God's promises. That's why, that's why when I heard about the riot nights, I thought, yeah, that's it. Every other pastor is up lamenting the state of youth and the debauchery and the immoral godlessness of our nation. But you as a church are rising up to say, God didn't call us to give color commentary about the state of the world. He, I'm not Kirk Street. I'm a, I'm a Spirit-filled child of God, and if I'll ever start speaking to my situation… We, we're so good at identifying problems. My, my little girl, Abby, she's three. She picks up all this stuff from her big brothers. And, most of it is fine, but one thing is she, she'll pick up something from them that she doesn't understand, but she'll mimic it even though she doesn't know what she's saying. So like uh, my, my nine-year-old, who is smarter than me, my nine-year-old is learning the human anatomy currently in school, and he's teaching his sister all the, what the different parts of the body are actually called, the technical names for all the parts of the body, and the other day, I hear my three-year-old girl, she's upstairs taking a bath, and she falls or something, and she goes, ow, I hurt my Heine and my patella. My Heine and my patella. How many of you are secretly wondering exactly where your patella is, but you're trying to fake like you know it like I was when I heard It's your kneecap. And So after I checked on my little girl and made sure she was okay in her hiney and her patella… Come on, everybody, now that you know what it is, point to your patella. I went up to help her with her injury, but I had a revelation when I did. A lot of us know what to call it, but we don't know how to change it. We we know what to call stuff. We, We know how to identify stuff. We know how to sound spiritual. But nothing's coming together. That was the problem on the floor of the valley that day. All of the apparatus was there. Everything that was needed for a vast army was already there, it just wasn't assembled. And so, so that's that's what we're doing in, in revival, right? We're coming together. We're coming together. We're we're from many different backgrounds, but but we're coming together. We're coming together to march forward under one banner. We're coming together. And as Ezekiel was prophesying, verse 7, it says, there was a noise, verse 7, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones, you see it, came together. The bones came together. I believe some stuff is going to start coming together in your life this year that's been disconnected up to this point. That You're not only going to point to your patella and point to your selfishness and point to your addiction and point to the dry places, but you're actually going to begin to prophesy and receive power in those very places. Something powerful happens when we come together. He said, I heard a noise. See, he didn't see a sight yet, but he heard a noise because faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God, and you have to hear it before you can see it. I said, you have to hear it before you can see it. You have to hear the promise before you can see the promise. And he hears a sound, and he doesn't see a sight. See, this reminds me of Elijah in the Old Testament. Elijah went and sent his servant, and he said, go look, I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. And the servant came back and said, man, um, I hate to tell you this, but... Um, There's not no clouds in the sky. He said, Check again. He said, came back, he said, there's nothing there. He came back, he said, There's there's nothing there. He came back, he said, There's nothing there. He came back, he said, There's nothing there. He came back. See what Elijah knew that the servant didn't know is that Elijah wasn't basing his forecast on what he could see. He said, I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. I hear the sound. I don't see the sight yet. My life doesn't look like it's coming together yet, but I hear the sound. I hear the sound. I heard a sound of worship. I hear a sound of destiny. I hear a sound. I hear a sound, and the bones started coming together. Come on. We're coming together tonight. There's a rattling sound in the valley. We're putting a sound out over the city. And Then he said, verse 8, I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. And now we arrive at the real reason that I wanted to preach this message. Did you enjoy my introduction? Okay. It won't take me but a minute, but I want to show you something. You can look like you've got it all together, but until there's breath in your body, there is no life. See, at this point, The bones come together. The flesh covers the bones. Everything starts standing up straight. Everything's looking better. But you know, just because you look like you're improving doesn't mean you are. Just because you look successful doesn't mean you are. Just because you look happy doesn't mean you are. Just because you look impressive doesn't mean you're really blessed with peace on the inside. Ezekiel said, it came together. The flesh even covered the bones. It looked like a living army, but there was no breath in them. They, 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 had, they had the appearance. They had an assembly, but they were asphyxiated. There was no breath in their body. There was no breath. And see, it, it, it's, it's, it's a picture that, that you can you can tone your body. You, you can tuck your skin. You can Botox it. You can paint it. You can tan it. White people. Okay, you can put lotion on it. I'll speak to the whole crowd. Something for everybody in this message. But with no breath—watch this—with no breath. I, I read that phrase, there was no breath in them, and I thought, you know, this describes the average church attender. I get my life together to a certain point. I get it under control to a certain point, and to everybody else, it looks together, but there's no breath, and I'm going through life out of breath. I'm going through life, I don't. See, in, in the Bible, the, the word breath, the Hebrew word for breath is ruach. And it's, it's a word that's translated three different ways in English. It's, it's translated breath, it's translated spirit, and it's translated wind. It's all from the same word, ruach. It, it means breath, it means wind, it means spirit. Now this is what when you read in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7, when it says that when God made Adam, he breathed into him the breath, the ruach of life. This is what God breathed into Adam when he created the first man. This is how he did it. He formed him and then he filled him. He made his body and then he breathed his ruach, his breath. He formed him and then he filled him. A lot of us are formed, but not yet filled. See, see a lot of us, we, we've gotten more religious, we've got, we, but, but there's no life to it. There's no breath to it. There's no wind to it. We, we've gotten some things down, some certain protocols perfected, but he said there was no breath in them. And I love verse 9. This is what I came to do tonight. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. I love that. Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, Son of Man, and say to it, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, come, breath, from the four winds, and breathe into these slain, and breathe into these dead dreams, and breathe into this dead faith, and breathe into these dead schools, and breathe into these dead communities, and breathe into these dead rituals, and breathe into these slain that they may live. Tell somebody next to you, don't hold your breath and I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. God said, during this revival, I want to take you from an assembly to an army, and it's going to happen when you prophesy. Is this all right? I feel it. Is this all right? He said, I want you to go from looking like you've got it together, to having the very breath, the very wind of God at your back. That's why you're here, to get your breath back, so you don't have to go through 2015 breathless, and gasping, and dying, and choking, and striving, because you got your breath back. Because you got your breath back. Because you got your dream back. Because you got your hope back. Because you got your peace back. Come on, it's time to catch your breath. It's time for you to catch your breath. It's time for Jacksonville to catch its breath. And
0: and and and
1: and, and many of us, many of us are, are dying spiritually because we're not breathing. Breathe. Breathe. That's that's what we're Here for tonight, we're in rare air tonight, like purified air. I talked about the power of surroundings. Nobody understands the power of surroundings more than your OCD pastor, Stilval Weems. Look at the design. Like, look. He even built the church where you had to look at them and they had to look at you. So, when you feel a little bit like you don't want to worship, you'll see her with her hands lifted, and she'll lift her hands, and then the wind will come from over in this section and hit this section, and then it bounces from this section to that section, and then it comes from the back to the front, from the front to the back, and by the time we're done, we're all on our feet marching forward because we got our breath back! Breathe, breathe, breathe. You got to breathe again. You got to breathe again. Breathe in, breathe in, breathe in. Breathe Breathe in his grace. Breathe. Well, well, Pastor Furtick, I came to the revival last year. I know this is more of a North Carolina impersonation than Florida, but I came to revival last year, I fasted last year, but it didn't, it didn't work. Well, did you come to church back consistently throughout the whole year? Because see, I don't know, I'm, I'm not a physiologist, but if you breathe for one week in January, how long are you gonna live? off one breath. I don't care who preaches. Nobody is good enough preaching that you can live for 360 more days off of five breaths. The lo- I looked it up. The longest that any human being has ever held his breath was a German. He held it for 22 minutes and 22 seconds. But even the strongest lung capacity known to man, Can only keep you alive less than a half hour, less than a sitcom, less than one third of a Pastor Stovall Weems sermon. Listen, you gotta breathe in His grace daily. You can't just even go from week to week. You can't even make. You can't do that. It can't be like that. It can't be like I go to church. You're not gonna run the race for seven days on one breath. Don't hold your breath. Man, I, was, I was reading in Ezekiel, I thought, well, that, that sounds familiar because in, in Ezekiel, oh, it, it, it's, it's, very, it's very similar to Acts chapter one, which is when the church was founded, which is when, you know, when Jesus was on the cross, the scripture says, That While he was up there, he breathed his last with a loud voice, "Ah!" and he breathed his last. With one last cry, he breathed his last. But you know what was happening on the cross when Jesus was breathing his last that Ezekiel was looking forward to in the future that you and I are on the other side of today? When he was breathing his last, the church was breathing our first. And the breath that he breathed on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. His dying breath brought us life. So much so that. When he was about to go back to heaven, when he was about to ascend to the right hand of the Father, he gave one final instruction when the disciples wanted to know, when are you going to return and set everything straight? God, when are you going to? Jesus, when are you going to? When are you going to make the dry bones in my life come together? Jesus said, no, 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 no. Don't hold your breath waiting for me to come and do something, because you will receive power when the Holy Spirit, ruach, breath, when the breath of God comes upon you. I want to tell you, my brothers and sisters, we're not waiting for the spirit to come anymore. We don't have to stand here and hope he comes. We don't have to ask him to come. I want to tell you, the breath is within you. And if you'll breathe out, that's another thing. Some of us never breathe in, but some of us never breathe out. We never worship, we never praise him. We get in a battle and forget to breathe. You know, I hired a trainer to work with me, he's, he's here with me, He was a trainer, and I noticed about 70% of what he told me to do in my workout was breathe. And I thought, you know, he's great, he tells me the exercises to do, but why would he have to tell me something so simple as to breathe? It's because under the strain of the weight—see, I'm not very strong—and under the strain of the weight—and I hate exercise—under the strain of the weight, I'm so focused that I forget the most natural thing to the life of my body is to breathe. And Some of you have been so focused on what's against you and so focused on the demands that are waiting at home for you. You've forgotten the most natural part of your spiritual life, which is to breathe out his praise. I wonder, can we take a minute at the beginning of this year and just breathe out a praise till the bones, come on, man, start to rattle in the valley of our despair. I wondered would you open your mouth tonight, surrounded by despair, surrounded by dysfunction, surrounded by death, but if you breathe out, if you breathe out, he said, when the Spirit comes on you, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth, in North Jacks, in South Jacks, do y'all have a South Jacks, in Orlando, in Ireland. He said, if you'll breathe out my praise, I'll carry it on the winds to the end of the earth. Come on, it's a revival. Let's breathe out of praise. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, increase your lung capacity. Praise him for what you can't see yet. Praise him for who he is. Praise him for his faithfulness. Hallelujah. What's your name, man? What's your name? Matt. I want to tell Matt something. Hold on a second. Shh. Real soft. You know, I looked all up in the Bible studying about breath. I was fascinated by it. I found out in the Bible it says God has nostrils. It is a scripture. And I found out that God will breathe on people. But you know what God never has to do? It's not in the Bible. He never has to breathe in. He's the only one. You, you see what I'm saying because you're a worship leader so I thought you would like that to know that God is God whether we praise him or not that he is the sovereign Lord whether we believe I'm sorry man I'm fired up I gotta get out I gotta get out of here does anybody want to praise the only one who is self-sustaining praise the Lord Psalm 150, praise the Lord. Come on, don't get tired. We're on the last lap. Praise the Lord. Put it up there. Psalm 150, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. The sanctuary isn't the building. The sanctuary is your heart. Praise him in the sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His acts of power. Come on, don't hold your breath. Praise Him. Don't wait for your situation to improve. Praise Him. Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. Praise Him. Praise Him with the sounding of the trumpet. I don't believe we have a trumpet but we got a bass guitar. Praise him with the bass guitar. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. I don't believe we got a harp or a lyre, but we got an electric guitar. Praise him on the fender. Come on, somebody. Come on, help me, help me. Don't hold your breath, don't hold your breath. Don't hold your breath. Praise him with the timbrel. You got one? And the dancing, oh, praise him oh praise him with the strings and the pipe come on praise him with the clash of the symbols with the symbols come on brother the symbols the symbols come on the symbols with resounding symbols. and here it is here's the word let everything Let everything that has breath praise, praise Him now.
0: All my hope, all my hope, your Your name.